Access, the official podcast of the National Wild Turkey Federation, brought to you by Nomad Outdoor. Drink Hall All Access is a digital campfire where the host and guests discuss topics of the day, conservation efforts, tips and techniques to better your experience as a field, and share our members' stories. Welcome back, everybody, for this part three of episode 25 of the Wild Turkey Symposium that was held down in North Carolina. For this part three, we're going to welcome back in Dr. Chamberlain, Dr. Collier, Mark Hatfield. They're going to give a status update on a uh, report they uh, they all contributed to and put together. Yours truly is going to largely sit back and and enjoy uh, right along with you. And then Mark and myself uh, hop back on a call and discuss some items that came out of their uh, turkey hunting safety task force uh, that was held the beginning of the week of the symposium that Monday. And uh, we're going to just rap about some, some items, some current day issues. Um, and it should be hopefully enlightening or at least feel like the curtain's been pulled back a bit and, and you get some answers, get some questions answered that you, that you might've had. So, this is it. Make sure you share this around with your friends, your turkey hunting community friends. A lot of good stuff packaged in this episode. In the last two, we're going to go hang out with the doctors and Mark Hatfield. 90 seconds. Let's go. Have you been to shop.nwtf.org yet? Well, if not, I invite you to go there now. Again, that's shop.nwtf.org for all the latest and greatest nwtf lifestyle gear need a trucker cap we got you covered need a low pro hat we got you covered there guys gear ladies gear kids gear accessories for the pool for the backyard for hunting camping we got you all there shop.nwtf.org go there today and get your latest nwtf gear under the visionary leadership of founder johnny morris bass pro shops and cabela's is leading north america's largest conservation movement their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com conservation. Are you ready to renew that membership or sign up for NWTF membership for the first time? Well, now we got a deal for you guys. We're going to hook you up with an NWTF trunk organizer. This thing is great if you're boating, gardening, attending a baseball game, going on a picnic. The organizer is a ideal way to keep your items organized and within reach. Featuring small zippered cooler with insulation. Use the packs, not the raw ice. We don't want leakage. Also, the organizer includes three slots to keep items separated and two small Velcro pouches located on the front for quick access to special items with a bonus clipping mechanism on the side to secure your organizer. Follow the link. Go through that link to get the organizer with your membership. Do it now. Close it out. Welcome back to the good doctor, Dr. Chamberlain, Dr. Collier, Mark Hatfield. Which is not a doctor. Not a doctor. I've been doctor, 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 doctor all day. It's been, uh, it's been very humbling. So you guys all got together, contributed on a piece of work that I'm going to just step back, watch and enjoy and let you guys have at it. So, yeah, I don't know if we got together. I kind of strong armed <laughs> Dr. Chamberlain into, into helping us out. And then he, he may have strong armed Dr. Collier to, to help us out as well. But no, so in conjunction with every 
wild turkey symposium, we always put together a status paper. And that status paper gives us a point in time of the information that is available from the state wildlife agencies on populations, hunters and size and, and harvest. So it, it's flawed with, with different techniques and stuff, but it's really the best kind of track that we have on populations across the country. So I reached out to Dr. Chamberlain and said, hey, and I think this was in the throes of COVID. We were mm-hmm. trying to figure out really what was going on. Lots of moving parts. And and we said, hey, can you help do this? Um, we needed to put a different spin on it from uh, previous papers, which normally just reported the numbers and really kind of moved on. Yeah, Kind of moved on. Mm-hmm. You know, and so we wanted to look at it and say, could we use this as a way to challenge where we're at, what we're doing, which I think we had a pretty good balance for that. Mm-hmm. And and. and you know, Mike, I don't know if there's something, you know, again, I probably owe you a, a glass of bourbon or something for maybe a bottle of bourbon. <laughs> a case. Right? A case. <laughs> to, to wrestle with the in the information that we received. But again, I think it turned out really well. And I think it highlighted a lot of opportunities for us to continue to build on collaboration mm-hmm. work together. Because many people during this entire week referenced that paper mm-hmm. and even worked it in to said, hey, it is flawed with errors and that's okay. Right. Right. But it's just the best information we have and we move forward and we improve upon it. Yeah. Yeah. We, so Mark, Mark contacts me and he says, Hey, uh, got an idea for you. If you'd be willing to help. And I'll say, yeah, no problem. You know, Brett and I'll help you out. And he sends me this data and I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> and I start, I start putting it into context and comparing it to previous status updates. And I'm like, man, we got some problems. You know, we started emailing each other, which we, we knew we had some mm-hmm. issues. Um, and I'll explain what those are. It's like, man, we, we need to take a different slant here with this paper. We need to give folks the, the, the status update, but we need to talk about where do we go from here because we're doing things the same way that we've been doing them for decades and the data are flawed. I mean, that are being used in these status updates. There's there's a lot of biases and flaws that that I can't not write about. I, and, and I remember emailing Mark and copying Brett one day and saying, I can't do this paper unless we discuss these things, because I, I just I'm not going to turn a blind eye to the problems sure. that we have with the data that 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 we all collect and we all synthesize and. So it kind of led us down this road of, you know, trying to evaluate where are we at now, where have compared to where we were five years ago, or it ends up being seven years because of COVID. But more importantly, where are we at, you know, now versus say 2004, 2005. And, and what we saw pretty easily, you know, our populations are declining. And I think the take home that I got, which we tried to, directly stated in the paper is, you know, we don't know how many turkeys are out there and we never have. And we don't know where they're distributed and within a state specifically. I mean, we know that, yeah, they're in this county or, you know, or not. And we don't know how many are being killed and we don't know how many hunters are killing them. Mm. And collectively, you know, that's why we kind of took the, the, the end of that paper was, okay, where do we go from here? What do we do? How do we how do we make sure that five years from now we're not having the same conversation that we still don't have any of this information? And 
it, it almost came across in some ways. I know that the the presentation was kind of a Debbie Downer. It's like, mm. you know, tell us something good here. <laughs> and I think the good is, which I didn't, unfortunately, this is my f- mistake, but there has been a lot of positive momentum yeah. since 2015 and the last status update of let's standardize the way we're doing these things. Let's standardize how we're collecting data. And then when I say we, I mean state agencies. Right. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that has occurred. It just hasn't, you know, things, you know, things at agency levels go, it's slow. It takes time to, to make some of these changes and states are reticent to make changes because they've been doing things a certain way for, for decades. But, I should have highlighted to a greater degree that there has been a lot of positive, but we we have to do better. And and the thing is, we can do better. We can, right. and the des- well, and the bird deserves it. Well, honestly, sure. we need we have to do better. I mean, it's just one of those things that, and if we don't, then it's it's on us sure. from that standpoint. Yeah. You know, and and so you know, we part to back up. You know, since two thousand four, in that status paper, and that's what it was. So two thousand where 2019 is with the data we were working on. Mm. We have seen an overall decline, but we still have a lot of turkeys on the landscape. Sure. I think people yeah. see it as, oh no, they're they're all gone, you know, and uh, it's complex and, and everything else, but it's, I think we opened up some conversations that people weren't going to have before, mm-hmm. you know, and people are now comfortable to have those conversations. Mm-hmm. And it, what's funny, and, and you know, Brett's a number cruncher and <laughs> you look at some of these, the the numbers and some of you know the, the agencies are, are are providing and it, they're in many cases they're doing the best they can with what they have they just the information they don't know where birds are at or they don't know how many are out there so you, we put these numbers out for the public to see and it, it's like we all know that we don't know that that's the fact right. um, but if you look at you know there are some states that the declines are so clearly obvious in the data that they do provide. In other states, it looks like turkeys are doing really, and they are, they're doing really well. So, I mean, some states, the the trend has been up, harvest is up, you know, distribution is up. There's birds in places that were not back in 2004. And and all anecdotal evidence suggests that that's true in some of these states. There's turkeys where they weren't a few decades ago, and there are more out there and the harvest is, is good. But the picture across most of the Southeast and much of the Midwest was certainly, you know, we have some challenges for sure, as, we, as we've known. Um, yeah. It just kind of puts a sobering picture to it when you start looking back, you know, two decades and you realize that, you know, in some of these places we have dramatically fewer birds and we have our harvest, as you'd expect, has declined. Um, and in other places, the picture is the complete reverse, sure. which speaks to the complexity of trying to deal with this across the whole species range where you have some agencies that are not dealing with the same issues that other agencies yeah. are dealing with. Yeah. So, so Brad, we pulled you in or Mike, pulled, I pulled Mike in, Mike pulled you in. So volunteered, I think would have been the word. <laughs> yeah. Told, you you yeah. get the email, Hey, we're doing this. Yeah. yeah. But you know, welcome to the fray. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, as you, you know, you're working across the country from a lot of different aspects. And so how are some of the state agencies trying to gather the best information to have, you know, some of them use harvest and an extrapolation of harvest. Other ones are using surveys back to hunters. And and so all of these states use a little bit different methodologies 
on stuff, which then makes it very difficult to compare across state lines. Is that a fair statement from your perspective, Brett? Yeah, um, I think it is. I think that what you're really talking about is uh, inertia. And, and I don't mean that as a criticism at all, but but institutional inertia does occur. It occurs in university systems like Mike and I work in. It occurs in state you know, agencies of all sorts in that you you collect data following a method or an approach and you don't want to change because then it negates the effort that yeah, negates your historical information within all the information you got previously if you do it one way and then one year you suddenly change a different way then that's 30 years of data you don't have the ability to compare back to and then, and i think that's a struggle that um all state agencies uh have because we're all remiss to change, I think is a good way to look at it. I, I, myself included, um, I like to do things the way that I like to do them. And sometimes by being remiss to change, it it makes it more difficult to bring the best possible information to, to the table. Um, I do think that I was thinking about something that Mike had said about the the, the status review and taking it at a different angle. And I think that one of the strengths of the symposium with regard specifically to the status review is that, you know, we have populations that are going up that, mm -hmm. you know, we have, we have areas that are, you know, showing increases in harvest and increase in population numbers. And we have populations that are going down and we didn't have the review. We didn't have the status report to kind of fall back on as a, as a, Wherever the flaws are, flawed or not, it provides us with that kind of continuous baseline of information such that those that are going up now can see what those that are going down now have done and then mm -hmm. adjust more proactively. Fred, we talked about this earlier, right. you know, adjust more proactively in the future. So I think that there's a real benefit, you know, to the status review every year and taking it a different way, like, you know, Mike did this year, taking the lead on it to, to discuss some of those issues really kind of uh, helps bring that into focus, I guess. Yeah. Well, you know, as we run through this, you know, populations are down, but probably not down as drastic as what the information shares. We know that people are potentially hearing less birds and mm. seeing less birds, but the numbers are showing some, not a, not a tremendous decline. But we're also seeing decline in hunter numbers mm -hmm. and, and a decline in harvest and significant decline in harvest in, in the fall. You know, yeah, those that, are the that things that really the, stuck out to yeah, me. Like, that was one of the scary. things that was a real challenge for me was when we started going through the data is, you know, it, it stopped at 2019, as it should have had COVID <clears> not come along. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we're running these numbers and we're making these comparisons and then we all are discussing amongst ourselves well we know that COVID is changing much of this in some ways in some states you know that 2020 spring harvest was way higher and in some states it was way lower you know in destination states that, where we couldn't travel and well we couldn't you know I remember you and I talked about this on the phone it was like Mark is like well we can't we can't really talk about that this is a the five-year snap, you know, snapshot. So we steered clear of, of of really talking about the pandemic and the potential consequences or any of that. But as we're running these numbers, you know, in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, um, harvest is down in this state, 
according to the 2019 data. And it's like, but the agency just reported that it was up 30% in 2020. We got, you know, I'll really be curious to see the next status update, how things look, because the the pandemic is going to clearly be demonstrated in that harvest data. I I think it probably will be pretty stunning how higher or how much lower harvest was, you know, during 2020 and to a lesser extent, 21. I think, you know, the status paper for the 13 symposium is going to be, I think, even more critical because many states right now are going through some regulation yes, adjustments. Sure, sure. And that was one thing we did not capture well <clears throat> within <clears throat> the surveys in the NWTF sent out was explain when, you know, regulations changed, harvest structure changed, season dates, mm-hmm. like, because some of the declines that we've seen in harvest were a result were intentional. of- Were intentional. Yeah, sure. Yeah, you make know, a regs change so that harvest is decreased. Yeah, right? or they moved it back. And then, so that's going to be something we need to figure out how to quantify moving forward. Yeah, because I was, I was thinking about that yesterday. Is like, I think whoever does the next status update needs to- we yeah, don't even. <laughs> I just started laughing because we all know that the three of us are doing the next yeah. episode. Um, <laughs> we we need to have a section on that talks about regulations changes and how they're reflected in that table and the right. harvest table and table three is okay. You know, is it average start date, length of seasons, <clears throat> bag yeah. limit changes? Something that's going to inform the reader that. Okay, yeah, we did see a, a 30% decline in fall harvest in the state, but that state made a dramatic change. Or may have eliminated right. fall harvest. And therefore, it's, it's intuitive that you'd have a decline, and it's not a population link, it's a regulations link. Right. You know, and that was completely lost in this. But on the flip side, you know, circa 2019, only a few states right. had made pretty dramatic changes, yeah. and since 2019, you know, there have been a lot of changes and I'm more on the And there's more on the horizon. Yeah. Yeah. And, and from my perspective, that's a good thing. You know, we have to adapt to the information we have available. We're making the be- agencies are making the best decisions for what they can do. And their their responsibility is to make sure that populations remain viable. Mm-hmm. And it's a trade off, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. that we were able to expand seasons when we were getting four bolts per hand recruitment. Mm-hmm. And then now, as we're not seeing that on a large scale, we have to adjust it back to make sure we are setting seasons based on biological data, right. not on social opinion, because we're not seeing or hearing the birds. I mean, is that yeah, sure. pretty, pretty yeah, accurate? Absolutely. And I want to back up to, to the laughing and conjecture that just occurred when I said, whoever does the next status update. Don't look at me. <laughs> um, yeah. But, uh, if, if I were to bet, uh, so I'll put this out here right now. I, I don't Mike like Chamberlain the laughing. I don't like the laughing. Will be part of the part group of, writing. I, I, I take the, the bet that it'd be part of, yeah, of the next status update. He may not be the first name on the paper, but he'll be the second or the uh, third. So it was a lot of work. Yeah. It's a lot more. It was a lot more work, honestly, than I thought. And when he, and when he contacted me, I thought. <clears throat> That's going to be pretty. I mean, in fact, I'll be honest with you. I said, um, I remember telling you this on the phone, Brett. I was like, I'll have this knocked out in, in two months. Hmm. No problem. I'll have it. In fact, I had it set on my calendar that from this day to this day, by this day, I had a calendar alert that said, have the status paper wrapped up and sent off to the co-authors. Hell, I wasn't even close. I mean, and I'm pretty 
anal about deadlines. And I was like, man, I got in the weeds. He can tell you, I got God. in the weeds on this paper <laughs> because I kept turning stones and there would be stuff that I had turned over that I was like, I need to know the answer to that. So I'd start digging and I'd email Mark and I'd email Brett and I'd, I'd email a state agency, a biologist right. and say, hey, give me some context to what's going on. And the next thing I knew, I had burned four and a half, five months. Hmm. And that paper took nine months. To, yeah. to get so it was, can you talk about that? Is that, I, don't, I, I obviously didn't see the presentation I was up here, but you know, the shortfalls and, and then, you know, you started out the conversation saying, you know, there were biases and then just stuff we didn't get right. What were some of those examples? So the listening audience has kind of more on understanding. Yeah, it's not so much that, we didn't get it right per se. It's that so Mark kind of and he he asked Brett this to some degree is so these states have different ways of getting at whatever data they sent. Mm -hmm. So some states, for so the, the listener knows the states are asked four pieces of data. How many birds do you think you have? Where do you think you have them? Where are they distributed? What's your harvest, spring and fall, and what's your hunter effort? How many you know? How many people are doing this? And as you can imagine, of those four pieces of data, the how many are out there and where are they is pretty sketch, to be frank. For sure. That's probably the weakest yeah. point of everything. Yeah. Because we haven't known how many turkeys are out there forever. And it's, I mean, we've been talking about that. We, I mean, Wayne Bailey talked about this in the 1980 mm -hmm. symposium, you know, that until we understand abundance, we're kind of working in the dark. Harvest states have a pretty good handle on. Even if they have varying ways of estimating harvest, they have a much better handle on it. Hunter effort all over the map. Some states have pretty good data on how many of us are out there. Many don't. So when we sat back and started looking at the data, you know, you have, let's just say, 10 states in a region, they literally may have five different ways of estimating abundance. And you're trying to compare you know, a state that estimates abundance using flock surveys in the winter, you know, out west where they can see the birds. Sure. And then you're comparing that to a state like Georgia, where you don't see turkeys driving around. I mean, they're, they're four species. So you're using other metrics, whether it's, you know, spring harvest times 10, you know, as 10% of the population and all these other metrics. And then you stick all that in a pot. Mm. And you realize that there's just so many challenges to making heads or tails of it that it it, it speaks to we 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 have to do better. We have yeah. we we being us, us agencies, researchers, nonprofits. We all turkey hunters. We all have to do better. If the agencies are asking for information, we need to give it. If, if, yeah. if you get asked to take a hunter survey in a state, do it yeah. because these states are, are they're, they want information. They're trying to use it to manage the resource. And if we're part of the management equation as turkey hunters, then we need to provide that. Yeah, because, yeah, you know, Mike and Bray, you all have looked at stats and populations and all these other. But from my time when I was in graduate school, inconsistent data. You can't make assumptions and you can't make sure. conclusions on. So we are making assumptions on an inconsistent source of consistent sure. source of information. Mm -hmm. And and that's that erodes confidence, that erodes the ability to make the right decision. And mm -hmm. so that's a that's where these but we you did hit on it that 
there are many things that are going right. You yeah. know, we're mm-hmm. we're talking more. We're talking with the regional associations. You know, and if you have to the symposium, I mean, the largest symposium we've ever had was this year. Mm-hmm. I mean, the one we're at right now, over a hundred and nearly one hundred and sixty people here. You know, either in person or virtually. So, lots of conversation around it. But man, it's there's still so much work to do because mm-hmm. we have to have consistent information so we can make consistently accurate recommendations. Mm-hmm. I think sure. if I, I, I've got a kind of a weird opinion on this, but I think that we're going to see a transition over the next few years to that consistency. And yeah. I know it sounds, the listeners may not think about it, but you know, just recently, most states have moved to an electronic mm-hmm. app based checking system. I mean, I'm not saying that it's a new thing. It used to be where you do it on a computer, right? You'd get on and log in and do it on a computer. And I think that those app based systems that, that are being used are really going to bring a lot of clarity to harvest mm-hmm. and effort. Yeah. How many days did you hunt? Did you harvest a bird? You know, it brings a lot of brings a lot of detail that used to be on cards and paper mm-hmm. and, and yeah. conducted with, you know, uh, surveys that would be mailed out to hunters at, you know, the end of the season or the beginning of the next year or whatever. And so I kind of feel like those data, which are probably the best that we got relative to the four mm-hmm. kind of data types are are going to do nothing but get better. Get better, yeah. yeah. So I, I, think I, think, there, I think there's a commitment to do that, yeah. honestly. We just talked about this. We were just talking about this with some some folks before we walked in that, you know, a lot of states, like Brett said, are moving to these online checking apps. And as part of these these apps, they're going to start asking us questions that they need answers to, such as what techniques are you using? Uh, what type of firearms are you using? Are you using archery equipment? Are you, what are you, how many day hours are you hunting? They're going to start populating these apps with additional questions mm-hmm. because they know that if they do that, they can get more information from us than just yes or no, did you kill a bird? Well, and they can get more specific because it's fresh. Yes. You know, you're, you're you doing it, the bird. you're excited, yeah. you're doing it, you're filling it out as opposed yeah. to three months later, you get the survey and say, what day did you kill your right. bird? Right. You go, oh yeah, I killed it on Saturday, and, and you you lose the details yeah. further from. I when just, you... I, you're spot on. I just while we've been here, I got a survey from a state I hunted in. Uh, so did I, and <laughs> and I answered. You know, it asked for the date that I killed. Yes or no? Did you kill a bird? I said yes. Uh, how many did you kill? I said one, and it, then it went for the date, and I had to I had to you know swipe out of the app and go back to my calendar. And I thought right then to myself, if I would, had been required to check that bird with by those the app, answers, yeah, right then that day or within you know forty eight <clears throat> hours or something, then I w- it would have been fresh, and you could have asked me anything about that hunt. Hmm. You know, how far of, did you shoot the animal? Yeah, how far did you? Know. And and I I hope that people listening and turkey hunters as 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 these states, and they are going to start asking us more pointed questions about what we're doing, how we're doing it. They're asking those questions because they're, we're all concerned about this resource and the agencies need more information to make the appropriate decisions. And it's up to us to provide the, information's truth, the information truthfully and in a timely manner, because at the end of the day, we're asking agencies to make management decisions we have to be willing to provide them data to make those decisions. Yeah, we're asking them to take a test without having to study. Well, there's I mean, no study yet. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, I mean, when you when you go to buy your license, I think every state asks you to participate in a hip survey. Sure. Or did you did you hunt migratory birds or not? Yes or no. And if you did, it goes and all of us fill that out in order to get our license Free, that, freely. We yeah. don't think anything about that. It. Shouldn't yeah. be arduous at all. The other thing that comes to mind, and it's come up a few times in these conversations I've had, is you know some some states uh, give a big game license that automatically includes a turkey tag, so you're not mm-hmm. one of those pieces of your puzzle you're not getting a true estimation do you think it's a huge pain in the neck to ask the agencies like you don't have to charge for it but make a purposeful tag so you know like okay this person identified themselves as a turkey hunter they want the turkey tag because they're gonna go out at least in the spring and hunt states that require a fee for that like in where i live Mm -hmm. that they got that but uh, Pennsylvania, yeah. you buy your hunting license, you're getting three turkey tags, a bear tag, a deer tag. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. I mean, they can't even suss that out if you're hunting bear, right? Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. yeah, that that's a difficult because every state has got a little different mm-hmm. ability sure. to structure this or how they manage their budgets and stuff. So it's a, uh, and they're also looking at ways to to accurately or to uh, ensure that they're capturing all the hunters because mm-hmm. of their allocation of Pittman Robertson dollars into sure. their states mm-hmm. and longevity and consistency. So mm-hmm. those are those many of those conversations occur at the national level with yeah. the states of how do we do the point of sale better? How do we make it more consistent? Again, goes back to we have more consistent cross collaboration between that. That would be more accurate information, make better derived decisions on, and we move forward. Well, where so many licenses are e-based now. I mean, back in the day when you had Tyvex paper and there was an associated cost of adding more on there, I'd get that. But now it's just a matter of rewrite the program. Just mm-hmm. just add yeah. the pet. You're going to print it off uh, on your own computer anyway. So it right. really shouldn't. And I, I've had conversations with several <laughs> agency biologists that are responsible for the turkey program that have these generic licenses like you mentioned mm-hmm. and it, it it is frustrating for them because all they know is you know x number of people purchased a big game license whether they turkey hunted or not is right. unclear so i think you'll probably see moving forward states try to be more specific in what and what they're doing mm-hmm. you know you got some states like south carolina you know that in other states that have implemented stamps yeah. well if you're gonna buy a stamp you're not gonna Chances are you're not going to buy a stamp Just unless you're turkey hunting. Exactly. Right. Right. So, you know, that's given the, those agencies a pool of hunter names. Okay. We're pretty confident that we had this number of yep. turkey hunters, you know, at least type of thing. And then they sure that up with service. Yeah. Go out to yeah. You know, yeah. so they can refine it and get it better accurate. I, I wish that states would move to the HIP model. I really do. Yeah. I, in states that, have these more generic over broad you know broad reaching licenses if they would just ask you you know did you did you deer hunt yes or no did you turkey hunt yes or no bear hunt yet and at least kind of you know we sold two hundred thousand licenses but only sixty five thousand of those said they turkey hunted last year something like that would at least get us a little closer and i think you know meetings like this and conversations that we've had this week it takes being in front of each other Mm-hmm. to have these conversations. And this is one of the things that, you know, Brett and I talked about this a lot because we were interacting a lot during the pandemic, Zoom and phone and text and email. And I was afraid, and it's come to fruition, that you know the pandemic, not only did it just keep us away from each other, but it stymied conversations oh. and, and to such a degree that you know, I got here the other day and I was, I was, I was glee 
It was like, <laughs> I knew it was going to be a grind and it has, and I'm tired and I'm ready to go see I'm my family. I'm so tired of talking. Yeah. <laughs> and, but I was excited and I still am because I knew I was going to be in the same room with people that all had the same objective. Yes. And I knew that I hadn't seen these people in, you know, since literally two years, the convention, Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you know, Charles and, and Jay of South Carolina, I had seen those guys in two years and I was excited to talk to them and, and interact with them and get their thoughts and hear their criticisms. And, you know, and man, the pandemic put us so far behind with that. We missed so many conversations that we could have had, you know, in 2020 oh, yeah. um, when this should have been, you know, should have occurred and and i feel like in some ways um that has that's hurt us not just from the standpoint of as a society but as a turkey management community that pandemic created some challenges yeah i've got a thought on this because i was talking to mary joe from pennsylvania and we're a tight group i mean the the turkey world is i don't want to say like no other but there aren't a lot of us you know most states have one Turkey biologist, oftentimes that person is the upland game bird biologist, right? And, you know, there aren't a whole lot of like academics that are full-time turkey people, Mm -hmm. you know, so there's not, there's not like this huge group of deer and, you know, ungulate biologists, waterfowl, which is probably the biggest one, right? You know, we're a pretty tight-knit group. And I was visiting with Mary Jo from up in Pennsylvania, and I think that the, the benefit, like Mike is talking about, we hadn't seen Jay and Charles, we hadn't seen anybody. And we're going to walk out of here to you know tomorrow morning with multiple opportunities that developed as part of those discussions, mm-hmm. where we're all by the the process of being face to face, sharing data, right? which is our business, you know, for mm-hmm. Mike and I, or just data. opinions yeah. or you and, know, and thoughts. Yeah. But where we're we're having these conversations and it's like oh have you got data we can do this with because we got some and let's share it and okay you do this part and then mike and i'll take this and we'll do that part and then mike will go over there and do something and i'll go over here and do something and not having that ability for two ish plus years has i don't want to say it stymied anything but it, it all unleashed in the last two days yeah yeah I mean, that's the easiest <laughs> yeah. way to yeah. explain yeah. it yeah the number the number of conversations just being in groups for two and a half, two and a half, three days of just turkey biology, telling hunting stories, telling, you know, it's a relationship based mm-hmm. family. I mean, now sometimes you get tired of family, you know, <laughs> you know so it's like, I mean, damn, that hit me so hard no, earlier. My nose I'm was bleeding. bloody in his nose when yeah. he started talking about that crap about density. I'm still right on that. <laughs> you know, what you think? But it's like, but you get, but again, we challenge each other. We support each other. We, we push each other. And again, that's really the exciting part of this is now we were all turkey hunters before we ever got into, you know, your career, my career, anybody else's career that's here. It's like, and so the enthusiasm, the ingenuity, the, the challenging each other is, is exciting. And again, I think that's what we were able to do with the paper. We challenged, mm-hmm. kind of challenged the community to say, we need to do better. Yeah, I think J- Jay Cantrell said something really insightful earlier whenever we were up here. And, and he said that sometimes there's a, a link missing between us. And, and I'm doing the air quote us, but the, mm-hmm. the NGO and the academics and the state agency people and our constituents, the hunters. And the hunters don't realize that before we were us mm-hmm. we were hunters yeah and we're still hunters still, still are, yeah. and we're still as engaged in in 
what goes on on the you know 80 acres of that one of us owns as we are is what goes on in across the southeastern United States. Right. And, you know, and so we don't write the status report because we want Arkansas to know what's going on in Arkansas. It's mm. we want everybody well, to I mean, know what's going on. And that's on. why we're sitting here today. You know, I mean, Fred's been here with us all week recording podcasts, covering this, wanting to make sure we share information. Because, Mike, you, you've said something in your talk. And I remember crafting this statement within the status paper is we have to provide the social support and a social license for mm -hmm. agencies to experiment and to make the needed changes mm -hmm. necessary to ensure turkey populations remain healthy. I There's mean, no I question. think that's, that's the complete outcome of this week. Everybody wants more turkeys. Everybody wants to hear more turkeys. And that's, man, that's, I, I think that sums it up pretty well. Yeah, I mean, we, we have to give agencies the flexibility to make changes, whether it's regs or plan use, you know, management, whatever. We have to give them the flexibility to make those changes and understand that not only do we need to accept and embrace the changes, but we need to be patient enough to understand that the results are not going to be available next week. Right. And we have to do that because the future of the resource hinges on us, turkey hunters. It doesn't hinge on Mike and Brett and Mark as researchers or NGOs. It's ultimately going to hinge on turkey hunters and their willingness to continue to support the resource and we're all going to have to give skin in this game we're, we're all going to have yeah, there's trade-offs and and we have to support the science that's provided and the results that it shows and and you know it's got to be data driven yeah and understanding that sometimes you know the data that we generate <laughs> one is not what we expect and two, it's not what we wanted to hear. Yeah. yeah. You know, I mean, yeah. we, we get data's hard. Yeah. Man. Sometimes I get some data's data tough. Well, that's the, the, the integrity yeah. of it, right? The yeah. integrity of the turkey hunting community is you're going to put yourself out there and say, I'm going to, I'm going to make hard choices if I have to. Mm -hmm. Well, you, 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 we've been saying it for three days. You're, you're going to have to. Yeah. So call, cards are called, put them on the table. Are, are you yeah. in or are you out? And at the end of the day, I think nearly every turkey hunter out there, they most that I talk to know that we have issues mm -hmm. and we have challenges. Mm -hmm. And for the most part, every person I talk to knows that they are going to have to give something. They're going to have to give more than they have. And they're willing to do that because they're they're passionate about the resource. They're invested in it. They have been and they see where we are and they know they may not know how to contribute, but they're in a sense, they're willing to, they're willing. If, if we can provide them guidance, I think most of us are willing to say, I'm willing to give something here. Yeah. Yep. Let's just, let's give it and let's go forward and let's try to, you know, make sure that, you know, next decade and the following decade that we have righted this ship, you know, and we, we continue to be able to, to harvest turkeys in the spring and, and enjoy, you know, ourselves and, and, and move on. Um, I think the last couple of years, that support has just exploded yeah and i i'm really excited about that because you know you got two options in the face of obstacles you can either just hunker down and and deal with it or you can get mad yeah. and, and make a change mm -hmm. and and start having the difficult conversations some of which have been had this week i mean i've I've been a part of some conversations where I, you know i was receiving very pointed questions and i was giving very pointed mm -hmm. questions and to people that I have a tremendous amount of respect for. 
But that's part of, I mean, we're going to have to have those conversations. Yeah, that's my biggest takeaway amongst so many things in three days. But the open, honest candor that's I didn't expect that, you know, I don't, I don't really know what I expected as a, as an observer and, and having these conversations, but you know, you specifically acknowledging, we don't know mm -hmm. to hear people say, we don't know because everyone expects you to have the answers. It, it's, how can you possibly know specifically down to the last feather? You don't. And then say that out loud and then to follow through that integrity on, on some of these other things. I think that's huge. And I think that gives people, the hunting public, um, the ability to have, um, uh, what am I trying to say? Uh, confidence. Well, in what we're it doing. shows vulnerability. What you guys yeah, it's doing. transparency. Yeah. yeah I mean, it's we vulnerability don't. and transparency. <clears throat> say we don't know, Yeah, but the group this week rallies around and says, well, we don't know that, but well, how do we figure that out? No, we figured it yeah. out. And so that's, you know, that's the beauty of this and the relationships and being in person and stuff is critical. So, Brett, I know you, you've been at this all week, and, and Mike and Brett, you have too. So, any closing comments from you guys from, you know, just fatigue, <laughs> uh, angst? Yeah. You know, apparently I created angst, but yeah. I'm still right. So, I, I, this, I would just say I knew this week was going to be exhausting. Yeah. It's been worth every conversation I've had, every. Uh, every hour I've been on my feet and I've talked to a lot. I mean, we've spent a lot of time talking to people. Yep. Last night I went, I left, you know, a conversation at 1250 AM. I've enjoyed every one of those conversations and I can't wait to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'd echo, well, I'd echo what Mike said. I mean, yeah. it's, I'm tired. Yeah. You know, it's, uh, my, but it's a good my, time. My voice is going, yeah, it's a good time. It's, it's, no, it's, it, it's productive. Uh, you know, there's Mike's had a lot of conversations. I've had a lot of conversations. We've been in mm -hmm. a lot of conversations and there's not a single one of those conversations that I'd give up mm -hmm. for any, for any reason, because every one of them has been a focused on pushing forward for the resource. Yeah. Well, so, so, yep. Yeah. Yep. Nothing, nothing to add there. You know, I think, uh, thank you guys. Thank you guys for being here. Time thank away you. from family. We're glad to be a part of it. Um, and man, we're we're excited. You know, we're gonna roll up our sleeve and we're gonna work. We're in it. Yep. Mm -hmm. We're in it with you to the end. Yep. Thank you guys. I said my final piece. I, I I just the honesty is amazing. And I can't wait to share these stories with our audience and, and beyond. And you know, again, uh, not to fluff tires, but to have you guys talk about how the communication side of this is now an important piece of that puzzle, not just because it's my job and I have mm -hmm. a vested interest in it, but I, I believe in what I do and I believe in the storytelling and I'm passionate about the storytelling. Um, so being able to work hand in hand and collaborate like that and provide that information to the public is is, is huge. And they're they're hungry and thirsty for it. They oh, can't sure. get enough. For sure. Yeah. You two definitely know that. Yeah, yep. for sure. So thank you for being a part of this. Thank this you. Third time. Yeah, <laughs> so glad, glad to be here. Awesome. Thank y'all. Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitat, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. 
To learn more, go to BassPro.com slash conservation. Have you been to shop.nwtf.org yet? Well, if not, I invite you to go there now. Again, that's shop.nwtf.org for all the latest and greatest NWTF lifestyle gear. Need a trucker cap? We got you covered. Need a low pro hat? We got you covered there. Guys gear, ladies gear, kids gear, accessories for the pool, for the backyard, for hunting, camping. We got you all there. Shop.nwtf.org. Go there today and get your latest NWTF gear. Are you ready to renew that membership or sign up for an NWTF membership for the first time? Well, now we got a deal for you guys. We're going to hook you up with an NWTF trunk organizer. This thing is great if you're boating, gardening, attending a baseball game, going on a picnic. The organizer is an ideal way to keep your items organized and within reach. Featuring small zippered cooler with insulation. Use the packs, not the raw ice. We don't want leakage. Also, the organizer includes three slots to keep items separated and two small Velcro pouches located on the front for quick access to special items with a bonus clipping mechanism on the side to secure your organizer follow the link go through that link to get the organizer with your membership do it now so many questions to be answered so many answers to figure out if we can answer them right um there are so many questions to see if we can answer them so it's it's just a so we we announced we're going to do one in 2025 we've got a couple of agencies lined up as potentials um, that are, well, that will serve as a co-host with us. And so that's, um, pretty exciting. We, we've got to nail down. We got to let some of those agencies go through their process to make sure that they can do this and commit to it, you know? And so hopefully we'll be making that announcement here probably within the next three to four weeks, hopefully yeah, that way we can get great. started, you know, and, and get that out there. Um, so, and honestly, I'm not sure if that's going to be the intent to get back on every five year process or sequence, but we could always defer to that or have that as a default, but I think it'll become more frequent, you know, because of just the groundswell of interest in turkeys and, and really the challenges they face right now. There's certainly an energy, right? I mean, I, aside from the stuff that kept coming about, about COVID and, you know, <clears throat> this, all of you professionals and, and the research and um, science community, right? You guys, you guys have that, that is free to core. You like getting together. So that aside, because of the motivation of the average Joe Blow turkey hunter, the avid turkey hunter, and then just industry professionals, like there was, it was exciting to be there as a spectator and <laughs> mostly as someone covering this uh, from a media standpoint. And yeah, you hit right on. It's like, man, I could, you know, almost like our, our national leadership conferences at NWTF, like every three years, like you could see something like this being every three years, but then, you know, is that enough? I I ask, is that enough time for some of this research to, to bear out? Or are you still, you know, research you're announcing this year? Does it take a good five years to get a good sampling? uh, Well, so we're kind of in a, yeah, that's a really good question. So, you know, as you saw, there was, we had about 29, 30 papers, I think presented uh, at the symposium. Um, Some of those were, you, you know, a year past their prime, you yeah. know, as far as just because we were delayed with COVID, So we should have had this information back in the previous year in 2021. Right. And so the fact that some of the research going on now that we help fund and, and others are doing they're they've got a year head start on this next symposium already, you know, so there's current projects going on. So honestly, I think there's going to be uh, an even 
greater, you know, swath or a greater number of projects that will be reported on in, in three years and shared. So, but yeah, you're right. You know, the, the one thing I always take back from the symposium is I reflect back on it from, you know, nearly six weeks now is just the, the community, you know, the, the conversations, the, you know, we hadn't seen each other in a long time, but everybody's there pulling in the same direction. You know, we want to manage turkey. We want turkey populations to be healthy. We want to be able to maximize hunting. You know, most everybody in that room was a turkey hunter before they ever were a researcher or a biologist. Right. And so everybody has that innate interest. Um, it was great to see, you know, Newcomb hunting, which he was a, he was a gentleman that just happened to say, Hey, I want to sponsor him show up. And he, he produces hunting blinds, you know, yeah. Mossy Oak was there. You know, and so Nomad supported us. And so it's great. You know, I'd love to see us on the next symposium to have three or four times more support from the industry yeah. for this because we're, we're, we're helping manage a resource that creates customers for that outdoor industry. And so it's a, it's a pathway. And so, but man, just a camaraderie, you know, when I was sitting up there having drinks with some people, um, the first night of symposium, man, the conversations were just going crazy. You know I mean? Just seeing people talking about stuff, challenging each other, you know, in a respectful way, but pushing sure. each other to be, to be better, man, the same conversations and the same energy was in the same, in that room the last night of the symposium. That's exactly and right. so it, it was exciting to hear, be there and to be a part of, and, and again, NWTF, um, you know, we've had a long history of research, long history with these uh, symposiums. Um, and you know, that's why we wanted to make that commitment for 2025. So the last one was 2015, right? It was, uh, January of 2016. So okay. it was, you know, and then prior to that, I think it was 2010. So the first one started in 1959 and then it jumped 11 years, went to 70 and then went 73, 75. And then from 75 on, it was a five-year interval. And then the reason that it went 2016 instead of 2015 is these were traditionally done for well, the ones that I've been a part of. This is my fifth one. The ones that I've been a part of were always in the fall or winter of the year. And so this, the way the calendar worked out, we, we pushed that the 12 or the 11th symposium into January of 2016. So that's the reason it it shows on paper that it was a six year interval, but really it was probably 61 month interval. So, I mean, the reason I'm asking that is, is to make a point of, of media coverage, right? I mean, you go back to even January, 2016, and you don't have some of the social platforms that exist today. TikTok being one of them. Um, certainly Instagram wasn't the monster it is today currently. Uh, and to that point, you know, I think, I think as far as outdoor community, outdoor space, uh, media, you had, you still were, I, now I'm not going to say the heyday of outdoor television, but you didn't have these, these YouTubers, uh, these independents going out there. So your voices in the community were largely coming from, um, the heads of the nonprofit space and whoever you saw on TV. And I mean, back then you still had at least the big two and maybe pursuit channel was, was in there somewhere hanging in, but you had outdoor channel and sportsman's channel. And, and maybe even back then they were two separate entities where they are not now. Right. So yeah, with everybody fast forward, you know, 
almost seven years now, uh, there's a lot of people that are that are in the social media space uh, and having these conversations. So like to, to, sort of the point I'm bringing up here is about the the, the excitement about this symposium. And, and a lot of people are like, I never knew this existed. And with our coverage and NWDF's coverage with uh, our, our staff writers, with this podcast and the embracing of what these tools at hand are and utilizing them to tell our story, to tell these many stories and start answering questions. Man, I think it's uh, I think this thing gets bigger. And, and certainly I, I almost have <laughs> heard from people that how do I attend? I want to go. And I'm like, well, I, I certainly yeah. don't make that a decision. But I mean, it's almost a spectator event where people <laughs> well, are excited. And I think, you know, like we've talked about you and I and then on these series of podcasts from the symposium, like there's an ex- it's an exciting time. Good, bad or indifferent because the community and the base is motivated because there's a problem. There was a problem. 20 plus years ago where turkeys weren't on the landscape or they were just coming into their own and having huntable populations. Now the problem is kind of going the other way in some regions. We discuss all of that and talk about those ideas, how to prevent those ideas in areas like the country where I live, where we're seemingly a decade, decade and a half behind the South and to thwart these potential, you know, uh, traps and now falling into them and, and learn from what's going on in other parts of the country to, you know, there's because of that, like I said, good, bad or indifferent, there is a genuine excitement. People are motivated to stand up and help and get involved and and really, you know, get no. roll their sleeves up no matter who they are. Yeah, no, I think that's a really some really good points, Fred, because, you know, this is a, the most extensive coverage we've ever done on the Wild Turkey Symposium. You know, we've we've done these. It's been geared towards researchers, um, agencies, institutions. And we never had a concerted effort to distill this information down to where it is consumed and shared to everybody. It was used, it was applied, it was great information. But as we've started to utilize these different tools, the social media platforms, whatever the right definition of those or terminology, it's put this more at the forefront. People can access this information better more effectively, efficiently, but they're also seeing some things that are not what they've experienced before during their turkey hunting career or or lifespan, because we've seen these dips in population. We've seen increases. We've seen, you know, less birds gobbling. We're not seeing things. We're changing seasons. There's a lot of, a lot of variables going on now that we as turkey hunters in general, have never experienced. Mm. You know, it's always been turkeys are great. We're doing good. We're adding days. We're we're expanding seasons. We're making them earlier. We're extending them on the back end. We're increasing bag limits. That was the norm, you know, years and years ago. And I've been turkey hunting now for 32 years. I'm 45 years old. I've been turkey hunting for 32 years. And so I started when I was 13 years old. Well, the fact that we've been able to expand seasons, do all this stuff, and now we're starting to see this this change, it, it, it causes a lot of concern out there, as it should, because I think everybody thoroughly, you know, they we everybody's worked hard to get turkeys back to where they're at, and right. we want to we have to honor some of that, honor the people that were before us. I shared some of that in my in my closing comments is that 
the twelfth symposium is was the hard work of even the ones that were there at the beginning, you know, with the first. And so we we owe it to them to to be, you know, aggressive, to be thought provoking, to challenge each other, but be respectful along the way, and then apply what we learn. So um, it's exciting, you know. There's a lot of there's a lot of noise in the system right now with turkeys. Um, everybody's got their opinions, and and honestly, everybody's you know welcome to their opinion. Sure. But we have to continue to to make the best decisions with the information we have at hand. And that's how we do it is by doing, doing research so we can figure things out. Yeah. Which I think uh, sets us up nicely uh, for our, our conversation at hand here and, and, and segueing into that um, at the beginning of the symposium, uh, there was a wild Turkey hunting safety task force meeting. Right. Um, and we're going to discuss some of that now. Uh, basically, I don't I don't know who's in the room or who's on that task force. I know I know you were there, uh, which is why you're going to be our our subject matter expert. Uh, But that lends itself to, again, answering these questions. Like you said, everyone has an opinion. And right now, everybody's looking for a a boogeyman or a silver bullet to to blame uh, some of our problems uh, within the turkey hunting space and, and turkey conservation uh, and and some of it's just an opinion. That's exactly what it is. I think, you know, our our conversation with Adam Butler from Mississippi was fantastic. And it wasn't fantastic because I liked the results uh, of his study. It was that somebody out there is doing it. And that authority is saying, like, we, this isn't just a one, two season deal. Like, this is going to take time to accrue data and then analyze that data and then surmise from that. And a lot of it's big stuff. Big sky stuff, right? It wasn't really like microed in. And because I think I, I asked him at one point in that conversation about socioeconomical influences and how that played. And he's like, well, we really didn't solve for that. We we're just kind of broad sweeping it just to start the conversation, it felt like. And even still, like, you know, his his research deemed out that, you know, one of the questions was like, does the advancement in technology and decoys, you know, have the the efficacy of being able to take turkeys? His research in, in short deem that you know just the longevity like you said you're 32 years of turkey hunting i'm 20 plus years of turkey hunting your woodsmanship and just the longevity of your craft make you more successful is what he determined in mississippi among avid turkey hunters so there's all the qualifiers yeah that that was pretty interesting (laughs) i remember that conversation because i think adam and i were actually sitting down with you and discussing it it was it was really interesting you know and that's um that was a snapshot into some of the questions that this Turkey Hunting Safety Task Force wants to address. And, exactly. and, and probably to, to delve into this a little bit, I'll, I'll kind of give you a quick history of the task force. So this is what we NWTF is working to do is to convene the fourth installment of the Turkey Hunting Safety Task Force. The first task force met in 1991. There was a second task force in 1997, and then the third was in 2005. So we had some pretty consistent intervals as far as what we were figuring out, what we were doing, what we were going to, what that groups were going to do. And so the one thing we wanted to do, and the one thing that the task force wanted to do in, in its infancy and when it was first established, was to ensure that turkey hunting, many people were new to turkey hunting. You know, the turkeys weren't on the landscape. You know, we grew up without turkeys. People didn't know how to turkey hunt because it was different than deer hunting. It was different than small game hunting because it was that interactive calling. What do you do and how do you do it? And so 
the industry, NWTF, others, you know, that were a part of this said, we need to make sure that this remains safe because we've got a lot of people that are using turkey hunting as an entry point or starting to turkey hunt that don't know how to turkey hunt. Mm. And so this task force in 1991 started to have these discussions about how do we remain safe and educate individuals on turkey hunting and that it's a safe sport because there was a lot of misconceptions that it was unsafe, that it was easy to misidentify your target. We needed to use hunter orange versus not using hunter orange because hunter orange was very, very much needed and utilized across big game hunting. And they said, oh, well, we have to use it for turkeys. Then. Mm. But then it started to recognize that maybe that wasn't necessary. You know, there's other ways to be safe. Um, you know, there were some states that actually required you to wear hunting hunter orange, which is totally different than what we see today. Um, sometimes you had to tie a, a band around a tree so mm. people knew which tree you were sitting on. Hmm. You know, um, so there were there were different tech techniques, methods, because what we need to do is make sure it remains safe, that it's an entry point. And so that's why this task force was initially um, used is because there was an educational process that went through that. Um, they looked at decoy use. They looked at shot shell size. You know, it was a, can you shoot twos? Do you shoot tens? You know, all of these things within your shotgun. What's the best distance to shoot these turkeys at for an ethical harvest? How do you position yourself if you use a decoy to remain safe? Mm. How do we reduce um, misidentifications of targets if you're carrying your bird out? How do you do it? And so that was some of the really initial stuff. Well, it's been really interesting because the Turkey Hunting Safety Task Force, all three iterations, all the way up to the mid-2000s, were really, really successful to ensure the turkey hunting remained safe, whether you were on public lands or private lands. And it still is a very, very, very safe activity. Mm -hmm. And so it's worked. But now we've had a 17-year gap. 17 years when you think about technology you were just talking about That's earlier a big about 17 years just social media presence from now to 2015 2016 pursuit channel outdoor channel those were the way we 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 digested information now it's youtube it's tiktok it's twitter it's instagram facebook and there's probably three other platforms that i have no know anything about <laughs> but so we wanted to make sure that we felt like what we needed to do as an organization that is for the conservation of the turkey and preservation of our hunting heritage, we owed it to the industry to convene this group again and to have the conversation about, are we still safe? Is it still a safe activity? And to identify any questions that we may need to be doing research on to ensure you mentioned efficacy that, you know, we were talking about that with Adam Butler on, on activities or methods of harvest. Do they pose a safety threat to the hunter or are they too effective to turkeys? And then we would have to adjust management implications or it would have management implications. So that was a little long winded, but this is not to come in and, and to make things illegal. This is not to come in and to provide hard staunch support of this or that this is not to alienate 
one piece of the industry versus another piece of the industry or pit them against one another. It is to have candid conversations and it's to ensure that we are remaining safe, that it's, um, and we're educating people how to remain safe, Mm. you know? So that's, that's the thing that's a piece of this. And so, um, so yeah, that's kind of where we're at. So what we ended up doing was, um, convening a group of kind of turkey enthusiasts um they were part of ammunition companies there was a part of a clothing company there was a part of um, the international hunting and education association that teaches hunting hunter education with all the state agencies they were a part of this we had uh, a facilitator from from dj case and associates come in and then we had nwtf staff um and so we were all just talking about, and we had members of our NWTF technical committee, which is the state agency biologists that, that work on harvest management regulations. And they're the turkey, I guess, rock stars or experts within their state agencies. Mm-hmm. So we were sitting in a room and going, okay, we need, we need information. We want to make sure we're making recommendations. So we started that process and, and it was a, it was really good because it was healthy and, and it was just a a chance to take the pulse of, are we doing it now? You know, we hit on some things there that we wanted to do. Um, You know, we wanted to understand what were the topics that we wanted to address as a task force. We wanted to know, um, you know, what are the perceptions within the state agencies of what we're hearing, what we're not hearing. Um, how do we balance the social acceptance to some of the practices that we see today? And then also how do we balance traditions, <laughs> ethics, and safety all in this spectrum of conversations? Because I don't know if fanning and reaping, as, a, as I understand it, I don't know if it poses any more of a safety threat than anything else we don't know that because we're not maybe collecting information and so we may need to come out with the direction of let's if you utilize that practice you should be aware of these things i don't know and we didn't know does shot shell technology change or does that pose a safety threat because of the downrange energy for shot shells and 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 you know the shot we don't know that, um, but I can tell you that there are some guidelines in the last Turkey Hunting Safety Task Force that still is very true today. Most people from that Alabama study feel like 40 yards is the most, is their range for turkey hunting. That, that's where they feel most comfortable not to shoot past. Right. That was really interesting, you know. Um, and we saw from that that not everybody uses decoys, you know, not it. So it's uh, what we may see on social media, what we may see on the Internet, I mean, how we collect information may not be the snapshot of what we're seeing. So we need to understand that, too. So but I know that was probably long and, and it felt like I'm talking at you, but it's it's a very complicated yeah, process. I, as you're going through, I'm like, yeah, this seems so straightforward. Like, it's just going to be. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah. be real easy, right? We come in and we say you do this and it's safe, you know, but it's um 
It's an interesting concept because you it's really hard to understand and, and it blurs a line between safety, what we deem as ethical, and that's a different that's a different point for every individual. Yeah. But we need to we need the activity to remain safe because we need to use it as an entry point for hunter retention recruitment. People need to feel comfortable to turkey hunt public land versus private land, you know? And so, and then if we do need to do that, what do we need to educate people on so they can remain and feel safe because it is a very, very safe activity. Yeah. And I I wish I, and it needs to, and it never needs to lose. It never needs to lose that mantra. No, I think some years ago I looked this up, this information. So let's call it for round numbers five years ago, because I was probably making an argument with someone back then about, safety and totality in hunting and i think cheerleading like was way more dangerous cheerleading than than hunting was statistically uh, i think riding a bike was also more uh dangerous and deadly than <laughs> um than participating in the, in the shooting sports or hunting so um i will make a note of that because i do want to find those numbers but i think that that would still bear out here in, in middle of 2022 yeah um that those probably still maintain because, you know, and, and because of these efforts, because of these people, these collaborative sessions that people get together and, and have these candid conversations. That's why I'm so glad we're talking about this and pulling the curtain back. This isn't a very wizard of Oz type thing. It's just, it's just a lot of information that wasn't disseminated and it's not, it's not top secret. You don't need like a GS 14 classified clearance to get this stuff. We just now have the ability and the bandwidth to share and get it out in mass broadcast. And I'm, and, yeah. I'm, and I'm so yeah. glad we're doing it because like you started to, to allude to, you know, you, you take a snapshot of social media. I think like like these fringe elements in society and I won't go down these rabbit holes, but we know who they are. Like they always seem to be the loudest, but it's like the percent of the percent that's got the megaphone. So why shouldn't that standard kind of be uh, in our community either? And you're probably right. Like we see a very small group of people lamenting about one thing or another. But as as people start asking questions like Adam uh, and yourself and others, uh, you start bearing out like, oh, holy smokes. Like, I didn't know so many people weren't using decoys. And there's so many decoys out there from all different uh, price ranges and 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 photorealism that, you know, dealer's choice, man. It's the tyranny of choice. And and people are just like, "Ah, I just don't want to do it. So it's interesting when you start asking more people, it's. It's not everything you're seeing on the computer screen or your phone. Yeah, so it's interesting because when decoys were, were first developed and first used, that was a big topic within some of the very early turkey hunting safety task force was, oh, no, this is we're using a decoy. You're going to carry that decoy. How should you be carrying that decoy? And and so they were coming off of, of a where – we had an influx of people that were turkey hunting and we, and we had some fatality, you know, but we've curbed that behavior. We've educated and it's been very successful, but it's interesting because it's not that, you know, we're doing anything that we know for sure is unsafe. We feel at times that it is unsafe from different perspectives. Some some people are like, man, I'm good with that. Some people like to really climb to 35, 40 feet in the tree. I don't feel safe doing that, you know, when I'm deer hunting. 
I've got my limit of what I feel comfortable with. No. That's a that's a personal choice because we all interpret risk differently. But if our risks start to impede the safety or the perception that it's unsafe, that's where we as an industry need to come in and help clean that up. <clears throat> and so think about it from this standpoint, you know, um, we we know as hunters, we are losing ground within the population of the U.S., right? <clears throat> we're not replacing hunters at the same rate that we're losing them. Mm -hmm. I think everybody would really agree to that. There's probably some dissenters out there that don't believe that. But so we as an industry <clears throat> need to ensure we're doing everything to keep a positive tone and we stay ahead of any public perception. And that's where this Turkey Hunting Safety Task Force can come into play because we can communicate how to do this activity safely. We can communicate how it is safe and, and it's, a, it's an opportunity to be outdoors with family, friends. <clears throat> and so that's what this process is about, is to make sure that we don't regress, but we also stay ahead of the curve on evaluating methods and that we, if those methods are legal, then if you apply those methods, you need to remain safe in this way. So let's get into it. What were some of the touch points? Um, you know, a lot of it right now was trying to work back through, um, you know, what are and how do we collect information when there is an incident? Mm -hmm. You know, are we collecting the correct information? Would we be answering the correct, asking the correct questions to ensure that we are getting the most information about those incidents um, and consistency across states so that way we can do comparisons? It was how do we and, and will we what are the some of the products that will come out of this? Is it a is it a communications plan? Is it a you know what if we identify research needs? How could we fund that research? And so we got into some topics that we you know we we all need to we probably still need to go back to the very one. You know there are some states that allow rifles mm. for turkey hunting. You know there are some states that are starting to allow air rifles for turkey hunt um and then we need to understand why that is you know what's the risk associated with it we, we need to understand you know shot shell technology and densities of tss bismuth heavy shot lead all of those because there's a there's a tipping point because they become unsafe if they become too large of shot with the higher densities and that can pose a threat downrange we need to understand that. Um, decoy technology is totally different than what it was. I mean, I think everybody that's been turkey hunting as long as you and I have, Fred, we remember those very first turkey decoys. I think if we put one of those up in the field right now, the turkeys would run <laughs> as fast as they could the other direction. You know, but now we've got turkey decoys that you can't tell if they're real or not from very far. So does that pose a threat? Um, and if it does, we just need to ensure that people are, when they use them, they are 
looking at approach angles that they're looking and they're utilizing a tree to width of their shoulders, you know, just some reminders of this because we do have a different generation coming into turkey hunting now. Completely. And, you know, the, the topic of, uh, of fanning um, is a topic. And, and it's not, this was a topic of, is it unsafe? And are there causes? And in the, is, it an, is it an unsafe practice? And honestly, we probably don't have the information to know if it is or not. So states are going a very conservative approach to ensure that that practice is not being able to be used because we don't know yet. And it's the state's role to be conservative to ensure this does not spill over and cause an issue. And so they need to do that. Um, But I don't know if it's unsafe or not. You know, and many of the people in the room said, I don't know if it's unsafe. We need to figure out if it's unsafe. And honestly, I don't think the data will show that. That's my personal opinion. So those are the topics. And then now we're going to have some multiple meetings. Um, We plan to have four to five more meetings with this group. We're expanding this group to include policymakers, to include industry, uh, a greater swath of industry. full engagement of the NWTF technical committee um, and and some others. And then we're going to lean on some outside experts to say, Hey, you know, one topic that was really interesting that we were not sure how to address just yet is. Unfortunately, you know, there, there's, there was a, there was a comment that said one of the agencies could always tell you when both seasons started in, in their States because they would have, additional falls and more more people visiting emergency rooms from falls from a deer stand mm. on the opening weekend of both season. <laughs> and so is there something that's going on with that, you know, lacerations on your hand if you're cleaning a bird? Is it cardiac arrest with people that are out there exerting chasing a turkey and then they have have an issue sprained ankles those are the little things that you probably don't think about that correlate to turkey hunting but i know i personally sprained an ankle turkey hunting or chasing a bird and maybe there needs to be an offer you know recognition that hey before turkey season we need to get you know get out exercise so we can eliminate that too so it's it's a lot of different topics and it's really exciting to see um the conversations occurring. There was a commitment to do this on a more frequent basis. We don't want a 17 year gap ever again (laughs) because of just the pace in which technology practices and perceptions can change now with, with all the the way we digest information. The biggest thing for me in these conversations and and hearing these concerns. And I I think I even talked about it with some of the folks down there at the time was, you know, a lot of this sounds like it's solving for personal responsibility. And I don't mean to be so crass about, you know, suck it up buttercup. But I mean, when I start thinking about the arguments for, or, you know, the arguments against fanning, right. Uh, and I think this is the first time ever we've talked about this uh, on the program. So I'm, I'm certainly happy to get into this uh, in the, at this level. Um, 
I, I come from a military background, so I know that's a very small segment of society. But I think for the most part, uh, people in in the hunting community and the shooting sports understand that, you know, the five, uh, the 10 commandments of firearm use. And in there, there is uh, identify your target. Be sure of what you're shooting. Uh, once you pull that trigger, you can't you can't bring it back. Uh, know what's beyond your target. So when we start looking at fanning, reaping, I, in my mind, can't reconcile how people are so damn trigger happy that would put themselves in an instance that thinks this is a safety issue. Um, I can see maybe in a wooded situation, but let's say, you know, for the sake of my argument, most of these instances happen in an open field. Someone's trying to make a move on a far distant turkey that's just not leaving his hands or he's just committed to that spot. And they're trying to incite that violence and work on the biology of the bird and his reaction. I don't know any lows that are shooting that far. Well, with the exception of your rifle states, which again, in my opinion, blows my mind, but we can get into that. Um, and then how just, how are people not identifying their targets? I remember when I first got on Turkey hunting, even with the lesser technology, technologically advanced decoys, I think people were still <clears throat> myself, including running, running the, the love triangle from, from Flambeau, <laughs> uh, those foamies, I would still glass. Like when I give Turkey one on one talks here locally or I, you know, I'm, I'm mentoring people like always have have some binoculars in your vest or on your front so you can identify your target. So, you know what you're shooting at. And I've been fooled. But even even if there's a question in your mind, like, why are people that's the pro, that's a question I want to answer. I don't know if we'll ever get to it. I think it's just people just get ate up in the moment. They get so competitive uh much like deer guys right uh, I, I gotta get this buck and they just get fixated on it and it's like for me i'm just like no damn critter in the woods is worth going to jail for especially worth hurting hurting somebody a neighbor a family member god forbid i mean think about the, the extremes of what we're talking about and at the end of the day you know it's you you don't have to you don't have to pull the trigger or let the arrow fly. So I guess for me it's like you know you talked about people being out of shape and having heart attacks or you know I mean crazy weird stuff happens in the woods. Like we we can all appreciate and understand that and it has happened. And I would say too that even with that crazy weird things happen when you're not turkey hunting. Yeah, you know, it, it, turkey hunting is not the cause. Mm-hmm. But there is um. You know, what are the things that we as an industry should be considering to make sure people are aware? Because there's people that are now turkey hunting that have never turkey hunted. So they don't know what they experience, what right. what to look for. And, <clears throat> and so I think you have to create for me. And again, I think you, you bring up really valid points is are we trying to mitigate for personal responsibility? It depends on if you're a lumper or a splitter or, you know, some of those things, you know, that's, that's the difficult part of this. It's like, I'm, I am very cognizant. And then I feel like that individuals that do have a mistake that they felt like that they did that they missed something, you know, and how do you have that point of, I'm just going to be safe one more time or, you know, so, yeah, I think you could argue that. And again, I think it's, it's a probably a pretty valid, valid argument, but, it's um, it's just so different when you think about it from how do we seatbelts, <clears throat> sure. For example, uh. you know, seatbelts are 
personal responsibility, but we know if you do that, you're going to be safer. Right. So we as an industry want to say, Hey, just if you can do this, that's going to be a little safer. And, and I think that's probably the best analogy I'd come up with. Yeah, that's, that's spot on. And I a hundred percent agree with that. I think, I think that having this, this this group of people of, of minds and in and, and space leadership is good and necessary so that people can get guidance right i mean it's not anarchy out there in the, in the turkey was all depends on where you hunt i suppose i, I say that in jest i'm kidding yeah. um I, my argument against, uh, against the personal responsibility thing isn't to dismiss this group uh, it's quite the contrary. I'm just I am a big uh, proponent of personal responsibility and 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 doing the right thing, but also like having leadership and having guidance is is also necessary, especially for the people that you you, you know you mentioned this new generation of turkey hunter that uh, lacks mentorship, lacks patience a lot of times. Um, so so to have that guidance, to have that resource, I mean, even from someone that's just I'm trying this out for the first time, I need something to guide me. And if they, they, they find this information, well, that's a good start. Um, and then hopefully they adhere to that. Those, those recommendations, it's, it's absolutely yeah, you know, necessary. It's, it was, um, it's interesting because I don't think anybody ever goes into this, you know, you know, you can't ever start with the end point. And so if you're going to an entry point, you know, if you're 13 trying to learn how to turkey hunt, if you're 25, if you're 45, or if you're 65, I mean, I had an uncle this year. Um, he never killed a turkey before. He's 65 years old. He killed his first turkey this year, nice. you know, by himself. And, and he's missed a couple of turkeys, but he killed one this year. And, but he's not that avid turkey hunter. He's not that. You know, he's like, man, I, I bought a, I bought some camouflage. I, I, you know, I let him use my shotgun. We went out and patterned it. And then he's like, I want to go turkey hunt myself. So he was by himself. And so those are the situations where somebody to say, hey, if you set up your decoy, make sure you do this. And he goes, oh, yeah, that makes sense. But if you're not doing it on a daily basis or you're not a seasoned vet, you may, you may not know that that would be something to consider. And also if you are a seasoned vet, you may become complacent because you haven't had an incident for sure, you know? And so it's a, it's a great conversation to have because it's a proactive conversation that we're trying to ensure that we can negate any negative perception about the activity, you know, and it, it takes the naysayers out that, Hey, you all haven't even looked at this. We can say, no, on an annual basis, on a on on a time, certain timeline, we review practices, we update communications plans, and we educate people that are turkey hunting. Um, then that gets us that that changes the paradigm that we are proactive in this, and that we take it very serious. And if there are some areas that are deemed unsafe by the data, this is data driven. It's not anecdotal information. This is going to be data driven. Then we will come out with recommendations that say, if you utilize this practice, whatever it is, if it's TSS, if it's spanning, if it's decoys, 
you should be aware of these things. And I don't know what those things are right now. Then, then you can feel safer in the woods. And to me, that's ultimately what we want to do. Sounds like at the education level, there needs, there has needed to been for a long time. uh, One of two, well, two things, Uh, Turkey safety training specific, because I know most states just kind of put people through a meat grinder like here's Hunter Ed. And like in my state of New Hampshire, they, it used to be uh, Hunter Ed archery course and trapper ed well they went and combined archery and basic hunter ed a handful of years ago to to one program now kind of catch all and i'm like man that's kind of unfortunate because there's so much nuance in archery that you really should spend time on further that to turkey hunting there's so many safety considerations so much it's a completely different time of year than you know your basic hunter ed course and you could spend uh, at least an entire eight hour day on it. Um, and we do, you know, in my state, we offer it, but it's a volunteer thing. It's not a requirement. Right. Um, the other thing I think is just this, this cultural shift um, that needs to, that needs to take place. And that, and then that is one of, of courtesy patience, right. Um, and because of, you know, things we've already talked about with social media a media at large, you know, the 49 States Super Slam mark comes to mind with me every time I, I talk about this subject and that there you had a few people. I got two books behind me. Tom Petro wrote about turkey men for, you know, a handful of guys. And I don't know if there's any gals that have done it, at least. Well, for whatever, uh, there's only a small amount of turkey hunters that have done their 49 States Super Slam and registered them that we, you know, we officially call them Super Slammers. Right. And now that, you know, you have this advent in, 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 in uh, communications technology, it's like you have these 20 somethings coming out of college, no responsibilities. They're going to go instead of traveling Europe, they're going to travel the countryside and kill turkeys. God bless them. I think that's great energy. But is that is that something, you know, like they, what ends up inevitably happening is like there's this these people think it's just like it's a gimme. It's like a chip shot at the, on the on the putt and green like. Yeah, I'm gonna go knock out these six states this spring. I'm gonna kill a turkey, and like the the bag limit, the seasons are set up. The bag limits are set up to solve for a certain percentage of successful hunters, right? And I think we touched on this in the podcast we dropped this Thursday, this past Thursday, is that 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 number is like twenty percent success. So eighty percent of the people going out there aren't killing turkeys, and there that's a reason. There's a reason for that, right? We have that data. If eighty for if hundred percent of people were killing turkeys, we'd be at a lottery system. Um, yeah. So, but but it's interesting though because the task force, you know, and I'll bring it back to the task force, is not looking at the efficacy or the efficiency of these methodologies. Sure. Because, but as a, as an, as a conservation, as a conservation that we need to understand those because we need to know if there needs to be adjustments within bag limits or structure to seasons and harvest rates and some of those things, because those didn't exist later. Um, but we're trying, that, that's where we have to identify from the task force side of things is that's something we need to understand about management implications for wild turkeys at the, you know, scale at the state level, but safety should be universal, right? you know, 
And so that's the difficult part. And again, it's not a, it's a, we, you know, you were talking about Hunter Ed. Well, there's Ontario. You have to go through a turkey hunting right. 101 class. Well, they used information that was from that, tur- that 2005 task force and a video and a DVD. You know, we t- nobody even has a DVD player anymore. <laughs> uh, but there was a turkey hunting course. It was there were shoot, don't shoot scenarios that were derived from this communications plan from the previous turkey hunting safety task force. So maybe, maybe that's a product that comes out of this. And again, these are a lot of maybes because yeah, I don't sure. want to get ahead of the group, but maybe we need to redo those and put them on social media. You know, that says these are, these are shoot, don't shoot scenarios for wild turkeys. If you're getting into it, this is what you need to be aware of yeah. surroundings. I mean, I still remember back to my hunting, my hunter education days where they had a deer. We had to walk through the woods with a fake gun <laughs> and they asked us, and then there was a deer standing silhouetted on the hillside. And then if you did certain things along that, it was kind of like taking your driver's course. Mm. And then if you pointed at that deer, then you failed the test because you shot over the hill rocks, mm. you know, and you shot over the up the hill and you didn't know what was behind it. So those things still resonate with me today, Yeah. but now we have individuals that are taking stuff online. That's exactly what they need to be doing. But is the content, you know, is the content correct for taking it online? I remember that um, silhouetted deer on the hillside because man, I remember seeing it, you know, Um, but it's a, it's a complicated system and and that's a because there's so many other things that that leads us nexus to like i said it's ethics it's responsibility it's safety it's management and, and how do you tease all those out and mm. but you have to understand how all those connect what uh what if any decisions or opinions were levied <clears throat> at this session um and then um, on what uh, specific uh, yeah, so honestly, there there were not any uh, decisions um, levied here. This was strictly how do we make this group diverse? Mm-hmm. How do we make this group um, composition kind of have a, a feel for the industry? And then to really establish, you know, that it's going to be data-driven. It's going to be information-based. Um and that it's going to be, you know, uh, you know, discussed, candid and open, but respectful, you know, because you're bringing in a lot of different views. You're bringing in a lot of different perspectives. And so we are not there is no and I can't stress that enough. There were no decisions made outside of this is the process. This is a pathway. And then we're going to go and it's going to be information driven for recommendations to be made. So. It, we're taking out the per, per, personal aspects of this. Mm. We're taking out of our kind of trying to get outside of our perspective, you know, and to look at the data and the information to make the best recommendations of how we remain safe. And that's strictly what we want to look at. And that's definitely the right course of action, right? I mean, you don't need me telling you that, but I, 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 I'm happy that's where you guys came at, especially with some of the specific topics that have been bantied about, you know, fanning, T 
TSS. Just basically a lot of this stuff is just too new. And I don't believe sitting here on my side of the screen that you can reasonably put an opinion out there one way or another on those two specifically because they're just too new. They're too new. You got to have a data set that is over an amount of time uh, with different variables from different areas and, and really and really dialing in. Right. And that's that's easier said than done. And I keep bringing up Adam's conversation that we had. But, you know, that was some of the stuff we talked about, because when an, when a state agency comes to a hunter and there's a, you know, whatever, you know, your, your state patch, you know, the either the the check station guy or gal asks you or a, a wildlife officer asks you or the agency just does it. You know, that's it's still it's intimidating to some people or some people put their tinfoil hats on. And they don't want to answer that, you know, they, they start gaming it like, oh, well, what are they looking for? And I'm just not going to answer. I'm going to answer a different way than the truth. So you're, you're it's a it's hard to really dial that in. But to bring it home. It, it I, I'm looking forward to somebody or somebody's picking up these 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 footballs and running with them for a time and then giving us or giving our community actual data sets and saying, yeah, yeah, we you know, we studied this for the last five years. Turns out things are pretty good or turns out we should not have been doing this. <laughs> uh, but that's the yeah, ultimate yeah. buck to pass because you have the numbers. It's not an opinion. It's not Fred Bird sitting here with my my humble opinion. It's this is yeah. the science. This, this We did this and here's our sample size. And, and this is the answer we came to. Yeah. And and one thing, too, I want to I think that's I think that's where we need to go. Personally, I think it needs to be information based. Like I said, mm -hmm. we're not, this isn't going to be opinion based. Um, now we're going to be, you know, talking to a lot of people about this stuff because we, we need to understand where everybody's at, you know, and it's hard to do, but it, it's going to be within this group. It's going to provide suggestions, recommendations based on information that's available. Now, I think anybody can attest to turkey hunting or not. If information is not available, we owe it to ourselves to remain conservative to ensure we do not create an unintended circumstance. Mm. And so I'm not saying that to say, oh, everything's going to roll backwards and, and everything's going to be illegal and, and anything. I'm just saying, that when decisions are made without information, they tend to be conservative because you want information and then if yeah. it, your error on the side of caution. Yeah. So when we are asked, we get turkey surveys. We do all this stuff within these state agencies. I encourage everybody to to complete the turkey survey, yeah, yeah. answer the question honestly: Did you use decoys or not? Did you? How far did you shoot the turkey? Wh whatever the question is, answer the question honestly. And I and I feel most people do, but we need more than ten percent of the people right. that receive surveys to fill them out, right? And to send them in, because that information is going to be critical, so we can maximize hunting opportunities for everybody and it gives us an ability to make sure that we remain safe the activity remains safe 
and the resource remains robust. Now, uh, 3.1 roughly million turkey hunters. That's a lot of surveys that should be being filled out. And I'm guilty of it. Uh, there's been a time or two they sat right on my desk and next thing I know it's August and I'm getting ready to go deer hunting. <laughs> I missed that. So shame on me, but I mean, we all should be, there should be 3 million of them suckers coming back to those, all those state agencies. That would be, that would be super beneficial. And just, you can't, you really couldn't, can't put a price on that, getting that information. If you did, it would yeah. put all of those agencies out of business. <laughs> yeah. And so, and so maybe the, the, throw this out and just maybe to recap here is that, you know, this Turkey Hunting Safety Task Force that we just, this first scoping meeting we had is they're going to be for the fourth installment. Um, and it's really just to, to do an industry check-in with where we're at. Are we safe? What's going on? What do we need to change? What do we need to recommend? And, and what do we, what do we know? Um, there hasn't been any decisions made. There hasn't been anything along those lines yet. Um, this is going to be a process and it's going to be information based. And so I don't want people to fear that the recommendations from this are going to come out that certain things are going to be illegal or certain things need to be changed or regulations all need to look one way. This is to provide guidance and potentially increase education yeah. for people so we can remain safe, so we can be proactive. So uh, it's going to be a good process. It's the previous three have been very positive, but it's, um, we owe it to ourselves to be proactive, to think about it and, you know, let's be responsible for it. And that's been the running theme throughout the entire symposium. And one that I a drum, I was more than happy to continue to, to play is that, you know, these, these, uh, academics, these professionals, NWTF professionals, like we're not making policy here just doing the work, making the recommendations, ultimately that falls to the agency, the individual state agency. And then at some point, some, most of them, their legislator to enact policy. So when people come to us or look at some of these, these folks conducting the research and want to attack, it's your, your aggression or your frustration is, is misplaced. Um, it, we, we can hear you and recognize you and, and more than willing to have those conversations and, and, and look at things from different perspectives. But ultimately, the rulemaking comes down to the state agency. And that's not blaming the state agency. It's just these are just facts. This is how the how it works. Um, so same thing here. Your task force or the task force you're a part of is not making any sort of law change or regulation change. It's just these are recommendations. And this is what industry professionals and uh, people who yeah. are looking at these numbers for a long period of time are saying, Hey, maybe we should do X, Y, and Z. Yeah. And, and I would stand up amongst all of my peers that are in the state wildlife agencies and industry that I would say all of them want to maximize opportunities, yeah. maximize flexibility and, and maximize, you know, chances to Turkey hunt, you know, and they just want to make sure that they, that that remains safe because yeah. that's that's what they're tasked with and safe and, and sustainable. So again, it's going to be a good it's going to be a good outcome. Uh, sometimes the process is more important than the um, outcome. Sure, no, it's got to be know, right. We're sitting in a room, we're talking, we're figuring it out, and uh, you know it's going to be information based. So it's exciting. Yeah, for sure. I'll be interested. Um, 
a side note here. I think while we were in uh, North Carolina or just before Tennessee, they amended their their rules on on banning specifically uh, as it pertained to public land versus private land and how you could utilize that technique. Uh, it would be awesome to see if someone <clears throat> focused in on them and, and maybe did a a small observation on on their safety numbers there because they they just set themselves up for you know a this or that and see how that rolls out. So hopefully it all bears very safe and not a person gets hurt. That would be the ultimate uh, cherry on top and be the the greatest. Um, but uh, I digress. Mark, I really appreciate your time. Thanks for. Uh, carving out a, an hour or so at your your busy morning and uh thanks for having me down to to Asheville that was a that was a treat and I uh every time I talk about this stuff I get excited and you know get goosebumps I mean it's just nerding out but this is this is this is the stuff you know our turkey hunting dreams are made of and I wish uh, more people find the information digest it and have more constructive conversations uh, about it you know just like just like y'all did as professionals, you know, having good conversation, disagree, agree, and and, and still come out of their uh, friends and no one getting their feelings hurt. Yeah. Well, you know, that, that's the fun part about it. You know, let's share information. Let's have conversations, you know, cause we all want more turkeys on the landscape than aren't okay. and more opportunities. So that, that's the end product. Good deal. Mark, thanks so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thanks, Fred. All right. So that was that was part three. I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks again to the good doctors, to Mark. It was a great week. A lot of good conversation. If you missed part one and two, go back. Listen to them. Share the stuff around. Your participation in this program, that means subscribing, following, sharing, goes a long way in keeping the information available and on the forefront, right? So if we're going to remain relevant, if we're going to get our information out, that requires participation on the audience, uh, from the audience. So I'm asking you politely, respectfully, guys, gals, share this stuff around. This stuff is the last three episodes, especially some of the, um, I don't want to overstate by saying proudest work, but I mean, I really feel good about bringing these conversations to bear and getting, I mean, as a turkey hunter, someone that, you know, had these questions before I worked for the organization. I would, you know, this is good stuff. This is the stuff people in the community and our conservation community are looking to have answered. And it's right here, man. It is at your your fingertips. Uh, click away and just uh, tune in. Uh, I hope I hope you found it insightful. Like I said, I hope the um, hunting ta- uh, safety conversation was a good one. And and the takeaway from that that I mean I think the the the, tr- the theme was obvious at least on my end was that we just don't know uh, the answers to some of this stuff and it's going to take time and it's going to take individuals within these agencies and professionals to dial in and specifically find out you know the the questions a lot of people have is reefing as unsafe as some people claim it to be. What is the effectiveness of that tactic? And is it killing a lot more turkeys right now? Scientifically, we don't know. There's quite a few folks that anecdotally have a, an opinion, and that's all it is. If we're being honest, brokers about this, it's an opinion. You know, I, I love the point Mark brought up about fitness. You guys know I'm a, I'm a fitness junkie. I can't get enough. If I could work out 
10 hours a day, I would, you know, your health, you're, you're, you're taking care of yourself. So you're not out there dropping dead of a heart attack. Cause you know, you're morbidly obese trying to chase a, a turkey. Like that's a consideration. That's a huge point. That's a, that's a complete quality of life point. But as it pertains to turkey hunting, man, we want everyone to go home safe. We want everyone to get home. I want you to have a good time in the field. So, you know, again, if you have questions, if you have comments, man, drop them in the comments. Leave us a review. Hit us up on social, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, Twitter, LinkedIn. This program, uh, you might be curious to know, gets a lot of play on LinkedIn. So if you're on LinkedIn, got your professional profile set up, make sure you're following NWTF. A lot of good information shared there. So that's it. I don't want to beat the drum anymore. You guys are more than welcome to play this stuff over and over and over and over again. Share it with your friends. Like I said, subscribe right where available. Almost every single podcast platform from iHeart to Spotify to Apple and so on. You can subscribe. You can leave comments. You can rate again. That stuff helps us maintain and keeps our stories in the forefront and not getting buried um, in the landscape that is uh, the podcasting world just chock full of millions of opinions and stories. Um, and then when it dials into our niche space, man, I mean, it's, you all know everybody with a microphone or hat with the wherewithal can, can do this. So if you like this and you think this content is good, your participation helps perpetuate the storytelling guys. A lot of good offers out there. As you heard on some of the, the, the ad drops there, there are currently three, offers if you're signing up or renewing your membership guys there's that masio cooler there's a trunk organizer and just as recently uh in the last 24 hours uh our membership department is offering a really nice nwtf branded uh knife so uh, join for the first time renew for the 50th time god bless you um you can choose you just got to make sure you find the exact link so if you want the knife you got to go through that portal so that our membership department knows Joe Blow signing back up and he wants the knife. Mary Jane signing back up for the 50th time. She wants that cooler, you know? So those, uh, those opportunities are there for you. Make sure you, you sign up if you're ready to, to renew or join, sign up a friend as a gift. These are great gifts. Um, that's it guys. Long out. I hope you, like I said, I hope you really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed, uh, curating this information and bringing it to you. And uh, tip of the cap to, to our engineer, Gilbert, uh, for spinning this all together and making it sound as good as, as he makes it sound. So uh, big ups to Gilbert there. Next week, we're bringing you Kelly Earnhardt, daughter of Dale Earnhardt, senior. And I have a fun conversation with, uh, with Kelly. We, we caught up a little while back. Um, I really enjoyed the conversation and uh, we're, covering everything from from racing i mean it's obvious right kind of kind of have to and uh uh her her enjoyment of the outdoors her family's enjoyment in the outdoors and the long-standing tradition and and growing up in a male-dominated household uh, in the racing world and the hunting space uh what that all meant for her and how she finally cut her teeth so fun story there i hope you tune in for that and then uh we're uh, back on regularly scheduled programming every two week drop and we're going to march right into the fall season. So with that, be good, folks. Treat each other well. Love each other. Take care of each other. We'll see you next time.
Under the visionary leadership of founder Johnny Morris, Bass Pro Shops and Cabela's is leading North America's largest conservation movement. Their partnership with the National Wild Turkey Federation is a match made in heaven for hunters across America. The Save the Habitat, Save the Hunt initiative continues to be a resounding success, with more than $6 million provided for conserving wildlife habitats, recruiting more hunters, and opening more access to hundreds of thousands of acres across the nation. To learn more, go to BassPro.com conservation. Have you been to shop.nwtf.org yet? Well, if not, I invite you to go there now. Again, that's shop.nwtf.org for all the latest and greatest NWTF lifestyle gear. Need a trucker cap? We got you covered. Need a low pro hat? We got you covered there. Guys gear, ladies gear, kids gear, accessories for the pool, for the backyard, for hunting, camping. We got you all there. Shop.nwtf.org. Go there today and get your latest NWTF gear. Are you ready to renew that membership or sign up for an NWTF membership for the first time? Well, now we got a deal for you guys. We're going to hook you up with an NWTF trunk organizer. This thing is great if you're boating, gardening, attending a baseball game, going on a picnic. The organizer is a ideal way to keep your items organized and within reach. Featuring small zippered cooler with insulation. Use the packs, not the raw ice. We don't want leakage. Also, the organizer includes three slots to keep items separated and two small Velcro pouches located on the front for quick access to special items with a bonus clipping mechanism on the side to secure your organizer. Follow the link. Go through that link to get the organizer with your membership. Do it now.